Are you selling a little or a lot? Either way, Shopify helps you do your thing. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. In fact, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And now you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Most of the business owners who listen to No Bullshit Leadership want to go large. What's so cool about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, it gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash leadership or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash leadership now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash leadership. Welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more. Access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence. Hey there, and welcome to episode 281 of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. This week's episode, Building Team Morale, Confident, Secure, and Enabled to Perform. A number of years ago, when we first started this podcast, a listener made a comment on one of our social media posts that has stuck with me ever since. Big shout out to Steen Bisgard, founder of the defense supply company GuardTech. I met Steen when I spoke to his MBA cohort at the University of Queensland in 2018. As a former officer in the Australian military, Steen has a keen sense of what strong leadership means and how essential it is for any team that aspires to perform at its peak. My LinkedIn post was about how to build team morale, and I was probably being just a little unkind to the wave of leaders who think that their main objective is to keep their people happy. You know, that old happy workers are productive workers fallacy. This is why I found Steen's comment to be so simple but powerful. It was about building morale in the military, and he wrote, Soldiers with high morale aren't happy. They're confident, secure, and enabled to perform. They're not well-fed, rested, and kept out of harm's way. Now, I like this comment so much that I even included it as a quote in my book, No Bullshit Leadership, when I wrote it a little while later. In today's episode, I want to flesh out the concept of team morale based on Steen's quote. What can you really do to build strong team morale? So I'll begin with a little myth-busting on happy worker syndrome. I'll then spend a few minutes dissecting the anatomy of morale, what it actually is. And I'll finish with a brief list of do's and don'ts that are going to help you to make practical decisions in the moment. And I've even made this into a downloadable PDF for you, which you can get at yourceomentor.com forward slash episode 281. So let's get into it. We hear frequently that happy workers are productive workers. 
but this is rarely true. Most often, happy workers are just happy. Now, the happy worker fallacy has become part of conventional wisdom. I had a crack at explaining why conventional wisdom is so seductive, but also deeply flawed in my recent TEDx talk, The Surprising Power of Constructive Conflict. We'll leave a link to the YouTube video in the show notes because it's definitely worth 11 minutes and 33 seconds of your time to watch. As for the conventional wisdom, happy workers are productive workers, the difference lies in our perspective on what happy actually means. Are we talking about short-term or long-term happiness? As humans, we're pretty poor at prioritising long-term outcomes. If we were actually good at it, we would eat, sleep, socialise, exercise, and spend our time quite differently. And it's not because we're bad or lazy, it's because that's the way we're programmed. There are countless examples of companies that set out to make their people happy, with the expectation that it's going to improve performance. But it doesn't. And despite any claims to the contrary, it often does quite the opposite to team performance. This is because the effort to create short-term happiness is always misdirected. Instead of driving towards the deep long-term satisfaction that really embeds peak performance, most leaders focus on delivering short-term sugar hits of happiness. And the short-term stuff is really easy. But the long-term stuff, well, that takes work. Short-term sugar hit remedies are things like providing more flexibility in working hours and location, higher pay, perks like free cookies, coffee and pizza, and office amenities like uh, entertainment areas and games rooms. Now, these are all fine, as long as they're balanced with long-term strategies as well. But the most counterproductive short-term move is to allow people to self-regulate their behaviour and performance. Even your highest calibre people are only going to give you 80 to 85% of effort on their best day. People only lift when a leader requires them to lift. So even though most people will love anything you can do to improve their short-term happiness, it will never enable them to walk the path to true satisfaction and long-term fulfilment. You've probably heard me say in the past that the older I get, the less certain I am about practically everything. But there's one thing I'm pretty sure about, and the more I see, the more convinced I become. All self-esteem comes from achieving difficult things. That's it. Think about the last time you experienced that feeling of being bulletproof, invincible, unstoppable. I can almost guarantee that it was just after you'd accomplished something hard, something difficult or uncertain, something that you thought you might not be able to do, something that maybe even really scared you. Long-term satisfaction and fulfilment lives here, not in the surface stuff. That's just a distraction. Without a measure of performance pressure, personal stretch, and even uncertainty attached to an outcome, you can never experience the feeling of real, deep, lasting fulfillment. And the focus that many leaders place on the short-term sugar-hit happiness is actually counterproductive. It effectively prevents people from taking the actions to set and achieve something of greater value. Why do leaders fall into this short-term cycle so easily, though? Because it satisfies 
their desire to be liked. When you give people what they want, there's no tension. But when you ask people to step up, they're often going to push back. I've led workforces in the past that had become so accustomed to getting what they wanted that they became entitled and unhappy. I was blown away when I discovered that some of the highest paid, most underworked, least stressed employees were often the unhappiest. And of course, imagine someone like me coming in and setting new expectations. You can imagine the passive-aggressive resistance that that generated. If you focus on trying to make your people happy, instead of providing the opportunity for them to develop their self-esteem, well, you're missing the point. And no matter how hard you try to convince yourself otherwise, team performance is always going to elude you. Well, with that backdrop of the relationship between happiness and performance, let's talk about morale. I found a definition of morale, of course, in dictionary.com that said, morale is the confidence, enthusiasm, and discipline of a person or group at a particular time. Now, we all think that the higher morale you have, the better it is. And when you think about it, this is the best way to describe a team pursuing long-term fulfillment, satisfaction, and self-esteem. Teams that fit this description won't all be high-performing teams, but I'd suggest that this is the true pathway to performance that leaders need to focus on. Let's get back to Steen's quote. What is it that drives morale? Being confident, secure, and enabled to perform, as opposed to being well-fed, rested, and kept out of harm's way. Many of the things we do as leaders push us towards the latter when you focus on making your people happy, when you convince yourself that you're just putting people before profits, when you try to protect your people from adversity and conflict, you're not doing them any favours. Confidence comes from knowing that you can handle any situation that presents itself. It requires resilience and experience and resourcefulness. It's that deep knowledge that you're prepared for anything. You cannot achieve that level of confidence unless you frequently push yourself to test those limits. Any confidence that isn't founded in this work is simply blind arrogance. Security comes from knowing that the people around you have your back. You're confident in their ability, their character and their intent. You know that they're going to be there to support you if you need it and you'll be there for them. You trust your leaders to set and maintain a high standard of performance, and you and everyone around you aspires to be better and to play your part in the team dynamic. How about the ability to perform? This comes from repetition, discipline, and experience. You constantly work on your craft and seek excellence in every area of your performance, and you're realistic about where you are. I find it really useful to use the lens of the four stages of competence when trying to self-evaluate your ability. The first stage is unconscious incompetence. You're incompetent, but you don't even know enough to realise that. The second stage is conscious incompetence. You're not competent, but at least you know enough to realise that you're not competent. The third stage is conscious competence. You know that you're competent, but it's not automatic. You have to concentrate on it and you have to think about it in order to achieve the desired outcomes. 
And the final stage, which we all aspire to, is unconscious competence. You're highly competent, and it's such an integral part of who you are and what you do that you don't even need to think about it. It just happens. One of the most common leadership failures in creating a high morale environment is making exceptions for poor performers. It erodes morale because it undermines every one of the preconditions that I've just spoken about. A poor performer who's allowed to remain on the team undermines your confidence in the team. It diminishes your sense of security because it's obvious that not everyone around you is the right person in the right role. You can't necessarily rely on them. And it certainly makes you question whether they're enabled to perform. They're not. So as much as you think that making an exception for a well-meaning but poor-performing individual is the compassionate thing to do, what you're doing is that you're effectively robbing your whole team of their opportunity to create a high-performance team with high morale. Just bear this in mind when your subconscious tries to convince you that not taking action on an underperformer is all for the best. I'm going to finish by outlining five key principles for building morale and give you the do's and don'ts around each. And this is available as a free PDF download at yourceomentor.com forward slash episode 281. The first principle is set and maintain a high standard. So the do's are ensure that each person rises to the minimum acceptable standard, which you have to set. Put pressure on all your people to rise to their own individual potential, because as I said before, they won't do this by themselves. Enforce the standard in everything you do, no exceptions. Challenge people with high-value tasks that make a real difference. And finally, celebrate improvements in performance. Make sure people know that they're hitting the mark. What are the don'ts of setting and maintaining a high standard? Well, the first is, don't overburden your people with a workload that doesn't add value. Don't assign any work that doesn't make sense or isn't rational. And don't keep changing the goalposts. Make sure people have stable targets to shoot for. Principle number two is to provide a fault-tolerant environment. Here's the do's. Make sure you give people the space to make mistakes and grow. Encourage people to take well-considered, calculated risks. And make sure that every individual feels as though they're working with a net, that they have your support behind them. The don'ts of providing a fault-tolerant environment. Don't allow dumb shit. When people do stupid things, they still need to be pulled up. Don't let people repeat mistakes without correcting them and learning. And whatever you do, don't support people who ignore your guidance or otherwise go out of bounds. If they do that, they're on their own. Principle number three, build a culture of excellence over perfection. So the do's are pretty simple. Create a sense of momentum. Reinforce the principles of good judgment and give feedback based on your honest assessment of outcomes so that you can try things, correct them, and keep moving. This is going to create momentum. The don'ts are, don't harp on irrelevant shit. Leave the details out. Let people work towards an outcome, and don't get into the minutiae with them. Don't mistake sloppiness with a desire for excellence over perfection. 
Sometimes people are just going to take shortcuts, and that's not what we're talking about. And whatever you do, don't tolerate laziness or poor intent. Principle number four, communicate constantly. So the do's are, create a culture of constant feedback, both formal and informal. People should be hearing from you all the time. Make your feedback direct, honest, specific and timely. Always reaffirm the mission and why you're striving for that additional performance. Give calibrating information as you progress. Help people to understand whether they're hitting the mark, whether they're not, whether they're warm or cold, whether they're going in the right direction. Always identify and communicate increases in both individual and team resilience. As you see people getting stronger and getting better, make sure you give them that feedback so that they know. And finally, the do's for communication. Make sure you emphasise the importance of each individual's contribution to the team. Now the don'ts. Don't deliver shit sandwiches. Now if you haven't heard this expression, a shit sandwich is when you've got something difficult to tell someone and you try and wrap it up to make it easier for you to deliver that feedback. So you've got some shit in the middle that you've got to give to people, but you try and couch it with two nice fluffy white pieces of bread on either side. So the feedback goes something like this. You're awesome. This is a problem, but don't worry because you're awesome. (laughs) That sort of feedback is just confusing. Don't indulge in non-specific platitudes. Don't just tell people how great they are without actually explaining why. So always think about finishing your sentences with because. So I think you're fantastic because you delivered this particular piece of work on time and it was really high quality. And don't pull back on your communication in times of uncertainty. When things are uncertain, that's when people need more communication, not less. But our tendency is to pull back because we don't have all the answers. The final principle, number five, create an ironclad accountability regime. So the do's are, make sure you implement the one head to pat, one ass to kick principle. Make it really clear who owns what. Hold people to account for their choices about performance and behaviour. And ask people how they intend to rectify any failures in accountability that you observe. And finally, the don'ts for creating an ironclad accountability regime. Don't overlook poor behaviour when people have other pressures in their lives. Don't listen to excuses. Every excuse is just a variation on a theme. In actual fact, what they're saying is, the dog ate my homework. If we look at all of this, the message is really clear, and I can summarise it really simply. Don't be a weak leader. Weak leaders are going to do all sorts of things to avoid the hard path to building team morale. Then they'll just rationalise their actions so that they can justify it to themselves. Building team morale means leaving behind the notion of trying to make people happy. It requires you to embrace the difficult truth that individual self-esteem and ultimately team morale comes from your willingness to lead people with a level of strength and commitment that very few leaders possess. The difference between a team that's well-fed, rested and kept out of harm's way and a team that's confident, secure and enabled to perform is night and day. Which one are you building? 
All right, so that brings us to the end of episode 281. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, at Your CEO Mentor, our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally. So please make sure that you subscribe to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast on your favorite podcast player. I look forward to next week's episode where we celebrate 5 million downloads of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. Until then, I know you take every opportunity you can to be a no bullshit leader. 